The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Good morning, Downtown Church. It's good to be with y'all, as always. Um, man, my wife and I and our family haven't been here for a year uh, since we joined, well, since I joined staff, but we've been uh, really blessed um, by new friends um, that we have, uh, we made over the course of these 11 months. So appreciate y'all a lot. Uh, we will be continuing our series called Dirty Faith in the book of James. And uh, if you have your Bible or your phone, we'll be looking at James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. And if you've been following our series, if you like me, uh, just sitting and hearing great preachers, uh, sometimes... Uh, God's word has some of them ouch moments, like, man, that hurt. And I'm walking away just really examining my walk with God and my relationships and things like that. And I think to this morning will be the same. Uh, God has some clear warnings about the dangers of wealth. And we could take a whole series talking about money. Uh, no, I'm not going to ask you. Uh, well, we do have an offering. That's already built into the uh the flow, so I'm not going to ask you for an extra offering, but I want us to hear these these warnings and take them with humility, uh, because we all have something to glean from God's word. And so, hear the reading of God's word from James chapter five, verses one through six. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mold your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, would you open up our eyes? Open our ears and soften our hearts to what you have to say to us by your living, inspired, and inerrant word. Thank you for speaking to us, God, and we pray that we'll be people ready to not only hear your word, but to do your word. It's in Christ's name we pray, and all God's people said together, amen. You probably heard the saying that money cannot bring true satisfaction. I heard a story of a man named Chris who told his good friend, Will, about the recent deaths in his family. Uh, Chris approached Will. He said, my aunt died four weeks ago, and she left me $15,000. Correction, $25,000. Chris goes, two weeks later after his aunt died, his brother died and left him $25,000 as well. And Chris said in a somber voice, depressed, 
And Will, looking at him with confusion and kind of scratching his head, he, he said, Chris, why are you so depressed? Chris responded, because this week nobody died. Punchline is funny, but the truth is scary. Chris showed his true colors. Not only did his aunt, his brother died, but they left him $50,000, and he still wasn't grateful. Talk about greed manifesting itself. We laughed, too, when I heard the story, but we can't be too quick to judge Chris, who clearly had a large appetite for money. It became more about the money than the people, his own family. And this is what happens when wealth becomes an idol. See, God blesses us with wealth, but left up to us in our sinful nature alone, we abuse it. We abuse his good gifts. We all have struggled or currently struggling to some degree with this. Doesn't matter how much money you make, it doesn't matter what type of job you have, you can even be unemployed. No matter your age, your race, educational background, you live in East Memphis, Orange Mound, South Memphis, no matter where you fall, we strongly have these desires to want more of fill in the blank. And it's hard for us to be content what we already have. You see, greed is a counterfeit God that controls our thoughts, our actions, our deeds, and our motives. The goal is to, to get more, to, to keep more, even to the point of manipulation. We find ourselves cutting corners, trying to find loopholes, how to get more. We become envious. We become jealous, all to secure the bag, as they say. Church, we have an issue. We have an issue. You see, the idol of greed is a universal issue. It's, it's always been a problem throughout time. And it's radically affected the way we do life. Just think about it. Think about the stories you've heard, maybe the news headlines or your own personal story. Greed has destroyed marriages, relationships, it's brought scandals to different institutions. It's brought division politically. And yes, greed has found its way in the church, in my heart, in your heart. As we approach our text this morning, our, our dear brother in the faith, Pastor James, is very aware of this ugly idol and this destructive reach it has on all people. Wealth and riches isn't a new topic. I mean, he's already covered this particular topic earlier in his epistle. If you remember, in James chapter 2, he spoke to brothers and sisters, warning us, the church, of showing favoritism to the rich over the poor. We now come to a portion of this epistle. James is drawing attention to the dangers of wealth. Now, I must note, I must confess that this passage is a difficult passage. Now, I've wrestled myself and I've researched and a lot of solid, sound, biblical scholars don't really see eye to eye on the question that is raised. 
who is James primarily addressing when it comes to this issue? And I believe, if you allow me to submit my belief, I believe with other commenters, James is primarily addressing wealthy unbelievers. We can see our brother James as a, as a social justice advocate on the behalf of those who have been wronged. But not just that, he's declaring the consequences that is to come. And I say this because of the language of in our text, the language of judgment. He tell these wealthy unbelievers to weep, to howl, because miseries are coming upon you. He even said, you're, you're fattening your hearts for the day of slaughter. That ain't good news. That's strong language of judgment. However, clearly there are wealthy believers in the church as well as non-wealthy. But wherever you fall in that category, it's still a word for you. It's still a word for all of us to hear these warnings, to receive these warnings, and to act accordingly in a way that's glorifying to God. In other words, wealth and riches aren't bad, but they make terrible gods and can't save you in the end. Now, I want to submit to you our main idea for this text that God gives us wealth to worship him and to love others. So we must guard against the idol of wealth. Let me repeat that. God gives us wealth to worship him and to love others. So we must guard against the idol of wealth. And as we unpack this idea, I want us to, church, to receive these warnings with humility. See, James' exhortations about the wealth, it isn't just about them out there who don't know God, but it's also about us in here who do know God. And with that in mind, in our text, I want us to see just two realities, the idol of wealth. The first reality we see is the idol of wealth gives us a false sense of well-being. The idol of wealth gives us a false sense of of well-being. We see that in verses 1 through 3 and 5. James says, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotten, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. It's important we just don't gloss over a very important phrase, a very important command when James said, come now. And this particular phrase was used early in a previous section. Our dear brother, Pastor Sergi, preached last week. And his particular section that he preached on started off with, come now. And I just want to borrow his, his, uh, his definition. It's, it's an attention grabber. It's, in other words, he's saying, what, Sergi, real talk, listen up, right? He says, come now. In other words, listen up. You've made an idol of your wealth, and it doesn't end well for you, nor the things that you hoarded. He draws attention to these particular material possessions, clothes, money, silver, gold. These were things that wealthy people knew all very well. And let me be clear. James would say, as would Jesus, <laughs> that having these things aren't wrong within themselves. 
God is the giver of all good things, which he said that in previous sections of his epistle. But we find ourselves worshiping the, the gifts and not the giver. When you find yourself worshiping the gifts above the giver, you got a problem on your hands. It's a red flag. So we all struggle with wanting more. No matter if you're making 400K a year or $20,000 a year, we all struggle and desire with wanting more, more clothes, more jewelry, more video games, more shoes, more vacation homes, more, more, and more. And we, 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 we strive after these things to, to obtain this sense of importance among certain people. And you know what? It actually works. I'm not going to lie and sit up here and tell y'all that I don't feel that. When you post a certain picture and you get a bunch of likes or comments or in real time, people compliment you about certain things that you have, you, you feel good about yourself. So we think about ways to get more, to keep more, to sustain that feeling of satisfaction, to sustain that feeling of acceptance. See, brothers and sisters, Jesus helps us see a different perspective of idolizing earthly things. He tells us in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, as James is also echoing his words, he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. We don't need to hold our earthly possessions so tightly. It's a promise. They will rot. They will be moth-eaten. Somebody might steal them. I mean, we all can raise our hand. How many of you guys had something taken away from you, stolen from you? We all, many of us in this room can say that. Clearly. <laughs> I'm not trying to be pessimistic, but I believe this is a reality check to help us guard against tying our security to what we have or what we don't have. Is that where you find yourself this morning? God wants our hearts to be invested in him more invested in temporal things. And think about the Bible. The Bible is filled with all kinds of examples of individuals investing their heart more in the things they have more than in God himself. And not only that, this can be a barrier to experiencing real prosperity in Christ. Think about an example Jesus had with the young rich, the young, the young rich ruler. In Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 23, if you're not familiar with it, I got it on the screen, I believe. Okay, cool. I just want to jog our memory. This is Jesus' encounter with the rich young ruler. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. 
you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. He said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. He said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. You see that, brothers and sisters, the rich young ruler, he had a false sense of well-being. On surface, he had it all. The brother wasn't one for anything. He had great possessions. And he also considered himself a good person. In all reality, he really broke all those laws. Jesus said, don't bear false witness. He said, yeah, I kept all of that. Come on, bro. <laughs> Jesus saw right through that. He touched the nerve. A sensitive nerve. He attacked his, his treasure, his riches. He told him, get rid of it all. Give it to the poor to receive heavenly treasures, treasures in heaven, and come and follow me. The Bible told us he went away sad. In other words, nah, I'm good, Jesus. <laughs> this is too good to come and follow you. Jesus isn't anti-rich. <laughs> The Bible is an anti-rich. The bigger issue was his heart was to invest it so much so he forfeited true riches in Christ. Eternal riches that don't fade, that don't rust, that can't be stolen. By the way, this message is not just for the rich. It, it, it ain't just for the Elon Musk, Oprah Winfrey's, the Kanye, the whoever you want to throw in there. It's for... It's for the individuals, as the older black women growing up used to say, it's for the people who ain't got a dime to their name. That's, that's, that's hurting financially. Because whether you fall in a millionaire or you fall to the person who don't have a dime to their name or you fall in between, we all struggle with greed. We all tempted for making an idol of wealth. Because even with little... Even with little, you could be rich in Christ and your soul could be well invested. Jesus told us in the Gospels, what profit a man or a woman to gain the whole world and to do what? To lose their soul. So here are some just personal evaluation questions. And I had to, you know, answer these myself before I give them to y'all and it was, it was hard. But here are some questions that you can ask yourself if you're thinking about if you're that person whose heart is more vested in your wealth than in Christ? Is your bank account status the first thing you think about when you wake up or the first thing you check when you wake up? Or is it the last thing you think about before you go to bed? Is it hard for you to give away your best to someone in need and without getting anything in return? What would someone say if they saw your spending transactions? If we pulled up your bank, Chase, Bank of America, you know, we, we just kind of put it on a, the projector. And we saw all your transactions. 
Mine's included. If I, if I put my, like, how would you feel? Will people look at your, your life, your spending habits, and say, yeah, that sister, it's clear that her riches is invested in Christ. It's clear that it's not just about her, that she's looking outward as well. Another question, do you find yourself often saying or thinking, if only I had blank, fill in the blank, life would be so much better. But what if God doesn't give you that? Would you be okay? Would you be okay when he's already given you himself? Jesus tells us where our treasure is, that's where our heart will be also. Maybe God is withholding some things from us. Maybe he's removing some things from our life so that we may learn how to treasure him, his gracious provisions of himself alone, and to loosen our grips of these fleeting things in this world. You see, the idol of wealth gives us a false sense of well-being. Not only that, our texts teach us another reality, that the idol of wealth hinders us from loving our neighbor. We see that in verse 4 and verse 6. James says, behold, bless you, sister. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mold your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. As a way of reminder, contextually, James is speaking about the rich who got richer because they own most of the land and control most of the land in Galilee. You see, these wealthy individuals had terrible employer-employee relations. I mean, it was, it was all unethical. They understood their power and they abused it to oppress people who depended upon making an honest living. These individuals showed up to work, worked hard, and by the end of the day, they expected to be paid. And some of these harvesters were so poor that literally whatever they made, they were dependent upon to meet their daily necessities. In other words, if they didn't get paid, they couldn't eat and their family couldn't eat. And these rich individuals held back what was due to them. You see, this powerful idol of wealth, it leads us to see people only a means to a profit. And I agree. I agree oftentimes it leads us to devalue people as image bearers. And we only see them as objects to control or animals to be muzzled. And I can't help but to think how this idol greed has literally altered the history of our nation. For example, chattel slavery, 400 years ago in its inception, driven primarily by greedy, rich, white men looking to capitalize on economic advancement with tobacco, cotton, and the sugar industry. You see, these slaveholders were driven to feed their lifestyles and to fatten their pockets at the expense of human life. Did you know, listen to this, did you know the average price of a slave, regardless of age, sex, 
or condition rose from approximately $400 in 1850 to nearly $800 in 1860. Not only that, during the late 1850s, prime males who were fitted for the field aged 18 to 30 cost on average Skilled slaves such as blacksmiths often were valued more than $2,000. It's sad. Millions uh, of lives were lost. were damaged through sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, social and economic. Generations were fractured in our society and America's never been the same by these systemic injustices. Even more recently, you still see the effects. You can drive in certain low-income neighborhoods and you see these these, these payday loan businesses, predatory loan businesses, charging individuals 200 maybe $300, 300% interest rates on the original loan. Making a situation even worse. These individuals find themselves in a, def- a desperate situation, maybe because poor decision making. I'm not going to excuse that, but there's no right to take advantage of people that way. There has to be a better way. The point is, we can't love our neighbors well when people are only an ends to a means, or means to an ends, excuse me. Church, God has called us to be salt and light in this world. And we have a very unique opportunity as believers to stand in the gap on the behalf of individuals who have been taken advantage of. There are folks who are in this room right now or that's probably watching who are business owners or in positions of power. Let me remind you, it's definitely a godly thing to create an environment, to cultivate policies for your employees to flourish, to get paid what they're due plus some extra. There are people here, brothers and sisters, who sit in meetings or who are involved in conversations on a weekly basis with the movers and shakers of Memphis. And sometimes conversations rise about economic development. I would encourage you to pray for wisdom, pray for boldness, pray for the words to speak, to respectfully question some decisions that, 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 may, that may set a trajectory of perpetuating 
these injustices. And so in other words, maybe there are opportunities or different strategies you can implement that may leverage some of those economic advancements for those who are marginalized. And whether you are sitting in those conversations, whether you own a business or not, we all need to be praying on our knees. God, give me wisdom. Give me self-control and accountability because ain't none of us too above of being seduced by the idol of greed. Our text this morning, it does give us encouragement and hope, especially those of us who have been taken advantage of, and we all have been taken advantage to some degree, some worse than others. And you know what? That's frustrating. It's sad. It makes me angry, as Sergio was praying, with a, with a holy anger, and it should make you as well. But James tells us God is aware, and God will avenge and fight for us. Look at verse 4. It says, the wages of the harvester that's been defrauded have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. We, we get this picture that those who have been wronged, their wages are crying out, making God aware of the sin and pleading for vindication. What the rich think they can do in secret and without consequences is not hidden from God. He sees all, he knows all. One commentator said, the Lord of hosts is God as the almighty, powerful leaders of a great army. He's the one that will avenge those who have been wrong, and he will have the final say-so. But let me leave you with even some more encouragement. God has a great army fighting for the oppressed, but by faith, he has blessed us in Christ, no matter your income bracket, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Because Christ is the one who paid our sin debt by his priceless blood and his body that we would observe here in a second in our communion. The Father gave his most prized possession. Again, Advent, the coming, Christ came, the Savior, so that we may be free from the stronghold and greed. And not just that, by his spirit, have the conviction to say, nope, I see, I'm tempted, I'm not about to have my heart invest in these things that are temporal. But instead to say, yes, yes, Holy Spirit, yes, God, I want your freedom, I want your power, give me strength to control my riches and not my riches control me. God sent us his ambassador to be our advocate on our behalf be between him and the Father. He sent Christ to be the peacemaker, <laughs> to bring reconciliation again between us and the Father and us and one another. We are poor spiritually apart from Christ, but he made us rich. Philippians 2 said he set aside those things. <laughs> he made himself nothing. His humiliation so that we could be his beneficiaries. So, brothers and sisters, we can loosen, we can loosen our grips on these, on these temporal fleeting possessions because we have an inheritance in Christ that won't rot, that won't fade, that won't be moth-eaten. And for those of you who say, Ortez, you just beat me up because <laughs> I sucked at this, I'm right there with you. 
But the beauty about Christ and what he's done on our behalf is all that has been covered. And he said, go, my, bro- go my, my son and my daughter. Go try it again. I want to do something different. I want to end with a prayer by us together singing the doxology. And we're going to let that be our prayer. So if you would join me. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy As we continue in our worship, praise God. As we continue in our worship, as Romans 12, 1 reminds us, in view of his mercies, let us offer our body, our lives as a living sacrifice. Let us continue our worship and our giving and our offering. It is always good to see the body of Christ coming to Christ together. Let us continue to do that. Um, by reflecting and thinking uh, about what Pastor Artez has preached to us, a very hard and instructing word, but yet one that we must know that is rich and is also uh, very much um, sanctifying. So we leave with us, stand up together, receiving the benediction, keeping that word in our minds and our hearts, leaving this place together. May the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, the grace of our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. All God's people say together, go in peace.